Welcome back to another episode of Real Word Confessionals, where we ask the questions never asked to tell the story seldom told. And we have Corey. And Corey, I've said your name right. Oh, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Oh my God. This is the best part of the show. This is the best part of the show. I'll give you a hint. It's pronounced just like it's spelled. There's no magic potion here to this name. Kavragaro. Close enough. No. Close enough. You say it. You say it. Kovrigaro. Kovrigaro. Romanian Hungar- means bagel maker. Hungarian Romanian for you know you know really? no Hungarian. I want the bagel maker last name. I love bagels with some good old cream cheese on there. Marry a guy in my family if you want that last name. I think we're the only ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like I'm one of nineteen Lazines yeah. in the country. I've got the Hungarian Romanian thing going as well. So n- no That's Hungarian, right. just Romanian for you. Well, as far as we can tell, you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah. But yeah. Did you do the whole swab, like the twenty-three thing? Like you did, you you know it. I haven't done it yet. I got to do that. My lineage is more accurate than the swab. I know. I know. Yeah, I I went to that village. I saw where where it all started. It's that's right. You did. You did that a few years ago. Before. Yeah. 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 My grandmother. um, We took her back fifty years after they fled for Israel. We took her back. My dad and I. And it was really cool. Amazing. Corey, uh, t- give us the background. You're CEO of Planomatic. Sure. Yep. G- give us the background, how you got there. You just give us the, the quick uh, yeah, yeah. recap here. The quick recap. The quick, well, the conclusion is I am unemployable. I cannot have a job. Um, <laughs> so I had to figure something out to uh, survive. But um, entrepreneurship was always um, interesting to me. I, I was an entrepreneur major in, in college, my first college I transferred, but um, basically like had a friend of a friend that, that had some software that create floor plans, photos. Um, it was brand new, 2005. Agents were taking photos of their own cameras, which they still are sometimes. And um, so, so things have changed, obviously, but just kind of got into it, grew, um, bootstrapped our whole way up. So never took any funding or anything like that. But um, here we are today, nationwide, Property Insights, 3D, photography, floor plans for real estate nationwide. So we're a little over 40 full-time employees. We have our teams overseas for post-production. Um, and then we also have uh, our contractor network, of course, our Planotex across the country. And so, um, you know, I've been around for 16 years. Yeah. I have I have to know, though, have you ever taken a photo? Have you ever walked into a home and actually taken a photo? Of course. That's how I started out. Yeah. But, you know, what's, what's ironic is, yes, I, I did. And, and I worked at this person's company for a while um, shooting photos. My, I, I'm not a professional photographer. I don't know what Aperture means. I don't like – I don't know that stuff. But, yes, I, I was shooting – but what I learned early on was that in order to grow the business, I had to stop shooting and I had to unlearn right. how to yeah. shoot and how to post produce. So even when we were doing like a few listings a week, we already were outsourcing that or, you know, hired on contractors to help us with that. So early on, it was the focus was growing the business, organization, culture, um, sales, operations, um, not being in the business, but working on the business. And did, sort of. did you see it heading in this direction or, or did you like – or do you feel like you pushed it, like the, the industry in this direction? I think we had we, we had a pretty clear vision that this was going to be the norm where we are today. I think we thought it was going to happen a lot faster. Um, like, you know, back then people thought that there was going to be a real estate video on every single property in the country, right? Um, or let's say three years ago, everybody thought there was going to be a 3D model for every single property in the country. That's not the case. I mean, um, I like to quote my, my friend that he says, you know, Things have never moved so fast, but they're still moving super slow compared to everything else, right? So, right. yeah, I think we knew there were going to be professional photos. Um, I think we thought there would be more floor plans out there, especially given what kind of mm. goes on in the East Coast. I agree. The re- yeah, the rest of the country didn't really pick up on that. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think we, we, you know, we saw that this was going to be the case for sure. 
Yeah, you've done an incredible job. I mean, nationwide for you know professional photography, floor plans, company, it, it's unbelievable. We talked about it on my podcast in San Diego. Were we in San Diego when we did that? San Diego, T360, um, right? That was like two it years ago. It was T360, ago. yeah. That was, no, it was yeah. more than two years ago because it was before. Was it? Uh, maybe it was 19 or 18, 2019. Talked about yeah. scaling the unscalable. I mean, that's essentially Oof. what what you've done. Yes, Still working on it. Scaling the unscalable. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's all been a challenge, but it's possible. I mean, the thing that allows us to be able to do what we're able to do and what allows a lot of other industries and, and sectors do what they're able to, like iBuying, you couldn't do that before technology enabled them to offer this service and be efficient. Um, or the single family rental space, you know, managing single family homes nationwide, that wasn't possible before tech. So same with us. I mean, we weren't able to really grow and scale unless we had that tech that enabled us to, um, you know, pass information along to our contractor network and receive information back at an efficient, um, scalable manner. So um, tech has allowed us to sort of expand. All right, let's get into the first confessional. You can take it any direction you want, whether it be personal or business. What is something right right now that currently overwhelms you? Something right now that currently overwhelms me. Um, I have to say that we've grown to a to a size where um, I have I, I oftentimes feel like I have a decent amount of weight on my shoulders. Um, there are a lot of people that depend on on me from the top, and of course my leadership team and the rest of the company. But uh, but ultimately, decisions from the top impact hundreds, if not over a thousand people um, between our teams in India, Philippines, um, uh, Vietnam our Planotechs here, our employees, their families, their kids, um, maybe their parents, right? So I think that that overwhelms me. We've gotten to a size where um, a misstep can can be costly. And so that that's overwhelming um, to a certain extent. I don't, I don't sign off at 5 p.m. Um, I carry that through the night. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun. It's what I want to be doing. I'm up for the challenge, uh, but it's daunting. It's, it's, it's heavy, man. But that must also motivate, though, no, on the other side, because it is because you are, you know, so concerned and worried about it. Doesn't that 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 obviously motivates you to work past 5 p.m.? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, first of all, I don't work past 5 p.m. I think about work 24 seven, but I I put everything (laughs) down. Typically, between 4 and 4.30, and I spend the rest of the evening with my kids or riding my bike or, or teaching at CU or, or something like that. But it definitely fuels, you know, it, it's exciting. It's, 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 it's motivating. It's what, it's what makes me show up every day. Like, um, every decision counts, um, and a lot of people depend on it, and a lot of people believe, right? So, um, yeah, it's absolutely motivating. It, it wouldn't be possible without that pressure. I, I you know, I'm an athlete. I was a competitor. Um, I perform under pressure. That's, that's kind of what I've always um, done. So it, it fits well with my mentality and lifestyle. If you're not working past 5 PM, what time are you start and work? How many days a week are you working? Well, I'm, I'm working five days a week. Um, try to be up around four 30, uh, work for about an hour, get a workout in. Um, my kids wake up, make them food, sometimes take them to school, sometimes my wife. Um, and then I'm in from about eight 30 after my initial hour, eight 30 till, you know, about four, four 30. Um, and then I go back to the family and that's, that's kind of, that's another big motivator and reason why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm unemployable 
You know, I, I, uh, we had um, a speaker yesterday at CU in our real estate tech class. I, I'm a TA. I teach with Mike Del Predi. Oh, and wow. We had an executive. Mike, we've, we've covered a bunch of Mike stuff from Inman. Yeah. He's great. So, so what is this CU? Uh, yeah, he teaches that class, um, real estate tech, uh, real 4200. And, um, it's a university. I, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, an you're assistant. a professor. Yeah. He, he said he's a no. TA. So well, I'm a TA. I'm a TA. Yeah. He's a TA. Finally, oh, okay. I he's finally a got a assistant. job. I take it back. I'm, Mike's my boss. So <laughs> yeah. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. I know. I like sent it directly to my mom and my grandmother. I was like, look, I, I got a job finally. Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, what was, what was I? Oh, oh. And so we had an executive from a very high profile. Actually, it's, yeah, an executive from a high profile company. And they shared that, you know, one of the things that they would, they would tell the students is like, make sure you prioritize your family, you're not going to get that time back with your infant, right. Um, and so if you're in like corporate yeah. America, and you have to work, whatever you got to work, that time is gone, it doesn't come back, um, you have to try to make it up somehow. And so that's why I, I you know, that's family's always number one for me. Um, we call this culture, the Plano fam, it's kind of all part of what we do. And so um, I make sure I have time for that. Absolutely. Mike, I haven't gotten a chance to uh, ever really have a conversation with with Mike, but seems like he's really emerged as one of the you know top handful of minds breaking down the industry, like the data yeah. where it's headed. Uh, what's you know you've got a obviously relationship with him. Just I'd love to hear your your thoughts on what what he's doing for the industry. Yeah, I mean he's kind of uh, quickly moved up the chain to probably the most, um, the most, uh, followed, you know, an analyst, I guess, in the space, um, very quickly. Right. So when it comes to iBuyers portals, emerging, um, models, uh, compass, Redfin, you know, we study all this stuff in class and what's fascinating is, uh, and the reason why I think he's so successful is that he's just so passionate about this stuff, right? Like yeah. he wants to know, and his, his biggest thing is providing information to brokers, agents, investors, and making sure it's an even playing field and really, um, really, you know, uh, lifting the hood up and saying, okay, here's, here's the data. Here's the real data. Because what you just mentioned to me is like where we're headed. He doesn't really, if you, if you pay attention, he never speculates. He just right. simply takes data, presents it in a, in a, even fashion and, and comes to some conclusions that are facts. They're factual. They're not opinion. And then also allows for his audience to kind of draw their own conclusions. So he's super passionate about it. Um, I don't think he needs to be doing what he's doing, to be honest. He doesn't need to be teaching, but he's passionate about teaching. He's passionate about, um, about the analysis and, um, and about the industry in general. Because he's breaking down the industry that uh, that most people are not, you know, different segments, like you said, I buyer and these types of things, you can almost see where things are going because, okay, here's conclusion as of today, but that data right. really allows uh, brokers to make a decision. I mean, yeah, you, you, you basically, he's in the, you know, Stefan and Ivy Zellman league, you know, you know, oh, yeah. with, 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 uh, with the work he's doing. So, all right. You said you think about work all the time. Confessional yeah. number two the question is, what do you think about most often? So what are you thinking about specifically most often? Breaking it. Well, I think about my family most often. I mean, I just kind of went over that. But if I'm not thinking about my family, honestly, I'm thinking about how I'm going to get outside and, and work out, usually on, on a mountain bike or a road bike, if I'm being completely honest about it. Um, and you get ridiculous weather in Denver, right? Is that is that the story? I've never been. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Come visit. Um, yeah, we get ridiculous weather. I mean, it's like been 95 for the last couple of days. We have smoke, um, in the air. It's, it's oh, pretty, no. pretty tough, but, um, yeah, it's pretty schizophrenic. It can be 95 one day, 75 another day in the winter. It can be 65 or below freezing. Um, I enjoy it. I mean, I grew up in Michigan, so I'm, I kind of like saw all, all seasons all year, mostly winter, I guess in Michigan, but, um, no offense to my Michigan, uh, folks, but, um, hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a little weird. We deal with it. All right, uh, confessional number three. Yes. How have your faults hindered you from more success? You're obviously su- super successful, but how have your faults hindered you from even more success? Well, success is in the eye of the beholder, of course. Um, how have my faults? So I'm I'm a traditional like visionary where I will I will change the plans on my team as the wind blows, um, and I think for the first probably about 10 years. I mean, we're 16 years in, but for the first 10 years, um, there was little to no focus. Um, there was little to no emphasis on culture. Um, I had little to no patience. And I think that all those things that I just mentioned, they sort of come with, um, fatherhood. One, one thing will mature you quickly and you become more patient You become all these things and focus. But I think just time and experience, I mean, you can, you can tell someone in their twenties who's in a startup all day long, like you got to focus. You really, you have to pick one thing and focus on it, focus on a client base, ideal client profile, um, business model, you know, and if you don't give things enough time, you'll just fly through ideas and never come up with anything good. And so, um, you know, I like that quote, that Steve jobs quote about, uh, paraphrasing here, but, um, he, he was most proud of all the good ideas that he said no to. Right. And I, I, I relate to that. So, you know, slowing down, focusing, um, and not, not driving my team crazy. Those are things that I'm still working on. Was there ever a moment building this team where maybe somebody on the team said, Hey man, you got to think about it a different way or, or something that happened that, that also you mentioned fatherhood, but something specifically inside the business that, that changed the way you were going to approach the culture and, and the team. Yeah, there were there were two people in particular here. Um, one was uh, her name is Stephanie Smith. She's our HR manager. She started out in our call center and she kind of moved her way up to this culture lead and then HR. And now she's got her you know certification and everything like that. So she really um, motivated m- me to put an emphasis on culture, establish culture, make it uh, a, a big uh, priority here at the company. And then and then my chief operating officer and good friend from college, Chad Gagnon, he kind of introduced this concept of focus. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, like he's an integrator, I'm a visionary, so he kind of runs the operation, right? So he introduced me to this book traction, which I've talked about here before, but, um, the the EOS model EOS, the entrepreneur operating system. Yeah. And so that, that changed everything. So EOS, uh, we, we couple that with the four disciplines of execution. Um, those two books changed everything for us, but what changed things for me personally, though, is I started speaking to uh, a mentor, um, actually a friend of my father's, I started speaking to him once a week about some personal issues, but more business issues. And that's also opened my mind. Just exposing yourself to experienced people who have been there, done that, um, is, is paramount, right? Like, um, people have seen it. Did you take the EOS model? Word for word, did you? I think you just said you you might have blended it with something else, or, or are you doing it like well, step by step? I we're pretty religious about it. Um, I, yeah. I just it marries to the four disciplines of execution really well. So our, our annual wig or wildly important goal, um, that's that's the company goal. That's not really a traction thing, but that's how we establish our our quarterly goals, our departmental goals, 
Um, so it's really, it's taking that four disciplines of execution, applying the lead measures versus lag measures, the wildly important goals and all that stuff and incorporating that into EOS and your weekly leadership team and accountability charts, scorecards, all that stuff. It really works really well together. So, um, but we're pretty religious about, about EOS. I mean, we are having L10 meetings every Thursday, 8.30 mountain time, no questions asked. That's when it's happening. We have quarterly meetings. We have annual planning meetings. Um, we live and die by our culture and values. And so, yeah, all that stuff is very important to us. We, yeah, we EOS, for those of you not familiar, Corey mentioned the book Traction. I, I would definitely pick it up. There's other books in the series, Rocket Fuel, and some of these other ones that yep. I would definitely consider diving into those uh, if you're building out a team of any sorts. Okay, so Corey... Yes. Uh, we've all been wrong on something somewhere, a business trend or a prediction that you said was absolutely going to go one direction and it went the complete opposite. Hmm. Well, the biggest prediction that I can think of at this moment, I thought that the real estate market was going to completely collapse last year. I really did. At um, what point? And that like when, soon, when, were you, when were you thinking this? What what month was it when you were thinking that? Um, this was probably you know March April when everybody started losing their jobs. We didn't know anything about you know PPP loans or any bailout or anything like that. And I just thought to myself, no one's going to be able to afford anything. Period. Um, so we're like, what homes weren't transacting at the time because we were all locked down. Like what? So there was a point in time where it was like, what's even the value of a home today? How do you put a value on a home when you have no comps and you don't know who can afford what? And so I really believed, I believe that the iBuyer model was pretty much done. Uh, I believe that the real estate market was going to tank, affordability was going to tank, and we were going to have another foreclosure crisis. Um, and that's kind of the mentality that I had. Um, and we were preparing for that. You know, we're, we're, we're very heavy in the single family rental space, um, the owner operator space, right? And so um, we were well hedged against something like that and have always, you know, thought that because when when home values plummet, that's when these companies kind of pick up inventory and, and rent them out. Um, but that's really what I thought. I, I, I thought this market was, you know, done for a while and was going to take a long time to recover. And it was quite the opposite, obviously. I mean, home values are through the roof. Well, for now, at least home values are through the roof. Um, people can't buy fast enough. You know, there's a sprawl to go to single family homes. Um, and that was just, I, that was not something I, I predicted. I didn't know that this remote work or hybrid was going to last or work very long, but it seems to be working really well. We've expanded our borders to the rest of the States to be able to hire talent because, um, it's just, it's talent's hard to, hard to find good, good people. Um, and so I guess I was wrong about this whole pandemic, you know, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely wrong. Hope nobody no, took my every, advice. I think, well, I think everybody was. I mean, we for two weeks. Well, I mean, it for was, two, I feel like we were wrong for maybe two weeks, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, we, we were quickly. like we were closing down offices. Yeah, like we were I, like getting rid of internet, like getting rid of our yeah. cleaning ladies. <laughs> I mean, you, we were. Well, there was like, nothing to clean. Yeah, I mean, we definitely took. Well, but even in our own personal homes, it was yeah. like get, yeah. like let like start I, I definitely, start crossing things off. Take yeah, yeah cr cross for, lines for, off the P and L at home, right? You like, have who to. Knows what's gonna yeah. Absolutely. That that was a message with the whole team for me when the. NBA canceled the season. Yeah, right. Was when I said, "Hey, everybody needs to look at every business included like Nicole said, every expense that you have that you don't need because you don't know what's what." But we were fortunate in suburbs in in Connecticut where and being on the Connecticut shoreline where pretty quickly in we could see that okay, 
uh, th- there's going to be something here for us because there was so many New Yorkers trying right. to get out of the city. Uh, and then you started thinking about how that would impact other cities. So, so it wasn't a long-term thing, fortunately. But no, I mean, but- it, those first two weeks of flattening the curve, uh, you know, nobody, nobody kind of knew what the heck was going on. So how no. quickly did you realize, okay, I'm, I'm wrong on this probably pretty quick or no, it took me a while because our, you know, our clients, our biggest clients were still paused on acquisitions um, and then tenants weren't turning over. And so we had very little reason to go into well, per- to homes and shoot for them, right? Yeah. What percentage of the business is the, is the rental for you? Mm, pretty high. Or if you don't want to answer that, if you don't want to answer that, that's fine. What, what, it, it's, 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 it's pretty a big high. Por- yeah, it's, it's, it's a majority. High. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. So, so you're heavy on the. I would say that's a commercial side, then. Well, people say commercial. I mean, it's it's really it is specific, like when I think commercial, and that's another thing. I, I thought you know office space and retail was like done, and these. Well, I'm these talking commercial, commercial multifamily. Yeah, so like big big multifamilies, right? So not multifamily, but truly single family rentals, oh, high okay. buyers, property managers, BlackRock. Um, yeah, well, a few, a few, you know, ladders up the, up the, a few steps up the ladder, um, but eventually, yep. yeah, that money trickles down for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that that's you. yeah. So, so not commercial. I wouldn't say commercial, and and not even multifamily. We've really, again, the, the focus thing, right? So we've really focused in on our ideal client profile, and that's um, these uh, these REITs, these owner operators, institutional right. money that's um, yeah. renting homes. Yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about that. It's a it's an interesting industry, but. Um, that that's really our focus, and that's the majority of our business today. No, I mean I'd love for you to dive in before we go to the last confessional. There's, you know, I saw a number New York Times. It was March of this year. Over sixty billion dollars of single family homes is owned by Wall Street. Uh, certainly, everybody saw that BlackRock was pushing another six or seven billion in to that pot. Uh, you yep. know, they obviously see opportunity. There's single family homes that everybody believes are at the top of the market or are overpriced and there's you know local investors in everybody's market that are waiting for these prices to come crashing down but right. the institutional money Wall Street doesn't believe that they're going to come crashing down or they wouldn't be pushing billions into this asset class right. how are they thinking about it well it's a long term play um so you know everybody wants great cap rates right um but but it's a long-term play when you're planning on holding for a minimum of 10 years i mean what's the difference if you buy a single family rental for 200 versus 220 it makes no difference right so that's their mentality they want to get their hands on as many properties as they can but like to give it to, to give perspective i mean you just threw out some really big numbers but to give the audience some perspective on really what what the institutional um investors are doing I think between two and two and a half percent of the single family rentals in this country are professionally managed today. Two to two and a half percent, right? So the rest are managed by mom and pop landlords and so forth. So the, the amount of opportunity that's out there right now um, and the, just the amount of, of, of inventory, not, not necessarily vacant or, or, or not, but there, there's, there's so much room for everybody to get a piece um, I mean, there's, there's not, in, there's not enough inventory. They're building communities, right? They're, they're having, building new construction communities to satisfy the demand for, for single family rentals because it's, it's through the roof. I mean, occupancy rates are like what, 98% with these portfolios. Um, so 
you know, you hear a lot about, are they pricing people out of homes and this and that, but um, there's just, there, there's so much out there that it, they're, they're not even making a dent. I mean, they're, they're barely a, a player when it comes to um, the, the people or the organizations that are, that are um, going after these single family rentals. And um, so I think, you know, fr- from, a, from a larger perspective, it's, it's not, it's not as much as you think it is um, because the, the real estate value in this country is like, I don't know how many tens of billions or trillion dollars. Right. So yeah, trillion. that's your mentality to, to, though. But, yeah. yeah. To your point, uh, I think it's 87% of single to four family uh, rental properties are owned by the small investor, which is like to your, just the, the person that bought a second house that bought a, you know, maybe has three right. or four properties in a certain town. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yep. All right, Corey, you are right now. This is the last confessional before we go to Nicole's rocket round. The rocket round. We okay. haven't changed. We got to get yet. rocket loans to sponsor your rocket round somehow. Hmm. Um, anyways, the, you, you are now the wizard of real estate. You've got a magic wand in your hand, but you okay. can only change one thing forever in the industry, what would it be? Hmm. And we're talking residential real estate. Yeah, yeah. Industry. All right, I'm going to say something bold here. I would end dual agency, and I would, I would eliminate the fact that the seller pays the buyer's agent commission. Wow, that was very yeah. bold. We haven't gotten that one yet, have we, Nicole? Yeah. Oh, everyone's like, you know, education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, bringing up the... I, I think, continuing ed. You know, how hard it is to get a license. That kind of, okay, so let's break this down. It's just, you kind of put yeah. two things in there. There are so, two things we, there. We said one, but but you kind of did right. say two there. All right, so, you know, let's break them both down. I mean, there's a lot of lawsuits right sure. now. Uh, and I have to be honest, stuff. like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not privy to all the details in these lawsuits. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. So, so dual agency... Why? Why? Because I know countless times I have friends who have won uh, buyers who have won listings because they were represented by both agents and their offer just just went to the top because it's double dipping, right? It's it's double the commission, um, and that's just that, that that's not okay. I mean, th- there's think- no way that's okay. I mean, the the seller's agent doesn't even need to present other offers. Like the the seller could not even know there are other offers out there. I mean, and obviously that that, that that would be. Unethical, unethical and, yeah. and, and totally unethical, you know, cer- certainly they could lose a license for that, but, but has it, or could it happen? I think maybe a small percentage. W- would you potentially see buyers then going unrepresented just saying, okay, I can't get into dual agency, but I'll just choose to be unrepresented so that I'm dealing direct. Cause you do have a, a percentage of buyers that are like, I just want to talk to a listing agent. So some buyers may right. choose to say, well, because they know I'm that gonna, they're because they, they 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 probably think that exact scenario that their offer yeah. is going to be brought to the top. I, I'm going to unrepresent and uh, but yeah. see what happens here. Well, and the reason why it works is because that commission between the seller and the seller's agent is established before the listing goes live, and so whether someone goes direct or not, I mean that seller is still obligated to pay the five point eight six percent whatever wherever you are commission, regardless of whether there's representation for the buyer or not, um, and that kind of plays into the other scenario, which is um, if the buyer's agent is working for the buyer and is supposed to be, you know, be acting in the best interest of the buyer, then why is the seller's agent paying or why is the seller paying their commission? I mean, 
in reality, like they're what they're, I mean, and I know this, you know, ethics aside, right. But, um, the buyer's agent is motivated to, to close at the highest price, um, financially. Right. Um, and so just, just based off financially, not, not their ethics. It's just their, financially. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Not, not in terms of fiduciary or, or any of that stuff. So, so um, but so, it's just, it's just interesting to me that like they're working for the buyer. There's, you know, they're, they're looking for, for homes to buy and then they're paid. It's like, what, what if, 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 you know, you're, you're not getting a divorce. What if someone's getting a divorce, right? Um, can you imagine if this, if this, if like you went to court and you were relying on, the other party's lawyer to represent you? Like, how does that so are, are, work? So are you yeah, thinking yeah, no, it would I, be I like... I understand the, the argument here. What, are you thinking it would be like a flat fee though? Because still, if I'm still getting based off a percentage of the purchase well, price, I'm still here, wanting it to sell at maybe four and based on what you're saying at four instead of 350. Yeah, but here, here's my concern too. And, and you can touch on both. Is um, when you get into the below median price point homes, and we know we have an affordability issue in real estate, you know, in this country for sure in, in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, below median price point homes, you have somebody trying to buy a, a $250,000 house and they're very uneducated in, in the process. Oftentimes because the, you know, seller is paying the listing broker that commission, the listing brokers, you know, paying the buyer agent, their portion of the commission. Mm-hmm. The buyer, if they had to pay the commission out of pocket, they wouldn't have it because they're wrapping everything into the loan. But what at least the buyer can decide so, what they're going to pay, right? Like the buyer okay. has no control over what they're going to pay for commission. Like that, should, that, that amount should be between the buyer and the buyer's agent. And, and to be honest, based on how things have changed and what – Zillow's doing right and and all the other portals and making this information people are finding their own homes okay that's a reality i mean the majority the high majority i would assume this is not data backed are finding their own homes and so does that commission potentially need to be compressed then i mean maybe like let's oh, let's allow and it is. for i mean Zill it is it's been compressed yeah um but i think that that business needs to be between the buyer and the buyer's agent i mean in a market like today you may want to negotiate that, right? I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but at least you want to have control over how much or if you're paying a commission or not. Um, and not to be, you know, I think Redfin did a great uh, service by posting that buyer's agent commission. There's no reason why that shouldn't be transparent, right? And that's one step towards um, transparency. I, I agree but, 100%, by the yeah. way. Um, but then, you know, you've got situations, right, where like you, you've got that whole story here in Denver with Trelora. I believe, and, and please, you know, don't quote me. I don't know, but, but their, their commission model is different where they're paying a buyer's agent commission that's much lower. Well, then buyer's agents are less incentivized to show those homes. And that's not in the best interest of the buyer either, right? Like if I'm an agent and I'm representing a buyer, you know, I'm, I hope well, that I'm an ethical person and I'm definitely going to show them all the listings, but am I going to like really try to push this listing that's going to pay me a third of the commission than the rest of the listings I think I think that argument is kind of off the table at this point because to the point you made earlier, buyers are finding their own sure. homes that they want to see online. So they are driving uh, the bus on which homes that they do want to see. So 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 there's not much of where you had the book. It's like I got to rely on my buyer to to like bring me properties or, or anything like that. Well, you know, right? What 
where the a valuable buyer agent comes in is top level service, being able to educate somebody through the process. And so ultimately the good agents in this industry, because I listen, gun to my head, does what we're saying happen to the buyer agents? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. This will happen over the next 10 years. Gun to my head, my opinion. Yeah. So buyer agents extremely vulnerable over the next 10 years the way it looks today lots of changes coming and i've said this for probably 10 years right but uh, eventually eventually i'll be right if i keep saying it (laughs) here's here's what's going to happen the good agents the great agents are all going to go to the high end because if i'm if i'm working with somebody who's looking for five million dollar homes they want the concierge level of service where everything's going to be taken care of and, and they're going to want the process. If I'm buying a $200,000 home and I can literally, because I can't wrap in buyer agency fees into my mortgage, I literally might only be able to afford you know, $500 for a buyer agent who in their right mind is going to provide the level of service necessary to educate somebody to take everything off the table for them for 500 bucks. And I agree with that. And I don't think it's 500 bucks. And I don't necessarily have a solution. Um, I don't. Um, but I, I just, you know, the fact that that's yeah. in the control of the seller and the seller's agent, I think is misrepresenting the buyer. You know what I would, I would love from a buyer's agent. Like we're, I'm, I started a, a small single family rental fund, um, and so we have a small portfolio. We're, we're in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, and looking elsewhere. But um, what I would love from a buyer's agent is to find, because we're finding that there are a lot of deals like this out there, find deals that are not, that are off market. Like if, if, if I'm going to work with a buyer's agent, that's the primary goal that I have is find something that nobody else knows about, right? Find like that deal if they're out there. That, yeah, bring I think me some value. Tremendous I understand. Value. Bring me some, yeah. right. Yeah. But, but there's, there's plenty of value I, I walking want... people across this. Yeah, yeah. My my point is, you're sophisticated. You're pretty sophisticated in real estate. So same thing. I, I would never need. I mean, I'm you know, I would never need somebody, even another market, helping me through the the process. I've I've been you know, I, I know the right. process, and so I want you know extreme value in anybody that I would pay a fee to in in my situation. But if you're only making this transaction once out of every ten years, you're going to do it three four times in your life. There mm-hmm. is value to somebody literally holding your hand the entire way and, and taking the, the the best buyer agents take stress out of the process because it's one of it's one of people's most stressful times so it's whether that's you know legitimately helping them move or whatever like it's removing the stress yeah. is the value of a great buyer agent it, it's psychology though and we teach it's this not in showing class, actually mike has yeah, yeah. but mike, mike has a whole whole um a whole class dedicated to, to risk aversion and, and that's psychology and human beings are risk averse. I mean, human beings, generally speaking, are more terrified to lose $5 than the joy they get out of making $5. And so because of that simple psychology, you've got things like, um, you know, high frequency, low risk, which is like an Uber ride. You can try an Uber ride or Netflix. You can cancel that after a month. Um, but low frequency, high risk, right? Like divorce lawyer, I mentioned that, um, buying a home. That was a great example, uh, by the way. Right. Maybe, maybe buying a car, right. Um, is closer to 
to low frequency, high risk. And because of human psychology, and we asked this question of our students, how many people here think that the real estate agent is going to be eliminated? These are seniors at CU at University of Colorado. And it depends on when throughout the class we ask them, because once, like if we're focused on, on iBuyers, then all of a sudden, you know, in the next class, they'll say agents have, you know, five years to go. Right. But then we <laughs> maybe bring someone in from, from Remax and they explain the business model and why it's successful. And it's like, well, wait, you know, they're not. Great. And then we get into risk aversion and then everybody really understands that it's such a big decision that emotionally and psych psychologically people need an experienced person to help walk them across the line, especially for first time or second time home buyers who haven't done it very much. It's, it's absolutely necessary. Um, and and I, I believe it's here to stay. I, I believe that that uh, professionals are needed to to help with this decision and to help with everything. It's not just finding a home, right? It's the due diligence process. It's um, the the financing is, is a big deal. It's the number one reason why deals fall through, right? So help with financing. Um, so you know, we teach, we talk about this stuff all day. It's it, well, not all day, but during class, it's, it's awesome. To think about. No, it's fascinating. I, I'm so glad you brought it up and, and went a totally different direction than we've ever heard because it made the entire podcast so what's Mike's take on what you just said, you know, dual agency and uh, if you know it, I'm sure, you know, sitting in those, helping him with those classes, you know it, dual yeah. agency and, and uh, the buyer commission thing. Well, so um, every time he asks me a question during class, he prefaces and says, because he thinks I have a problem with this, like without giving your own opinion, Corey, can you explain such and wow. such? Um, and so when people ask him, he, you know, he says, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll go like, you know, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? You know, how do you see it? Um, I don't think he's got a stance on that. He's really not a speculator. He does not speculate. He does not try to guess. Um, and I don't think he also, he doesn't know what all the answers are. I mean, he does a lot of consulting for different companies, but um, does he think that, I, I think if I had to guess and Mike, don't, don't shoot me, man. But I, I think that he finds that it's very odd um, that sellers pay the buyer's commission. We, we it is very a odd. decent it's, amount of time in class about that. It's very odd. It's the only industry that does it. I mean, I, I talked to uh, one of my friends growing up who's in finance in New York City about this often. He always brings it up. He's like, it just blows my mind that that's the case. You yeah. know, they, they, they represent big, you know, 150 million and up acquisitions where, you know, legitimately – you know, they would never have one of these acquisitions, you know, somebody paying both sides of the fees. It would just never, ever yeah. happen. And so when they represent somebody trying to get acquired, you know, they're getting their fee there. When they represent somebody looking to buy, you know, or acquire a company, they're getting their fee there. But, but it's a tricky conversation tricky. because what do you do with those lower, uh, the median and, and lower home single family home purchase somebody really trying right. to achieve the dream and they've got you know one shot at not making a, a you know a huge mistake and they want to do it right and they want to have advice and they should and you know what can you get a lot of advice off of youtube or somewhere like that certainly but do they know that market internally so that there's a lot that goes into it it's tricky it's definitely tricky i appreciate you bringing yep. that up though Corey. yeah Nicole, let's get into these. Are very quick. This is a lot lighter of a topic than I feel we like just I know most through. of his answers already. I feel like that's what we should do. We should. Wow. We should be, it should be our lightning round based on based on the interview. <laughs> based but, on what we think. I'm that um, easy to read, huh? 
no, 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 no. You're very Corey. clear. You're very clear, which is, right. but again, it's sort of, it, it, this is just like a this or that. It's it's just supposed to be fun. Okay. It is very lighthearted. Um, and again, it's lightning. So just, you know, answer and we move on to the next. Ready? Cool. Okay. Yep. Phone call or text? Phone call. Uh, Facebook or Instagram? I'm off both. Uh, both, really? For good? I'm for off life? both. What is it? Social dilemma? I couldn't do it anymore. When I realized there are wow. five thousand, like, like, like hundreds of thousands of people working every day. Did you to ever end up watching that? You never ended up app. watching it. Yeah. I'm a LinkedIn is... junkie, but I am off Instagram and Facebook. I love LinkedIn. It's okay. been like that for for like a year plus. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Good. iOS or Android? iOS. Work hard or play hard? Play hard. Nice car or nice home? Home. Passenger or driver? Driver. Money or free time? Free time. Your toilet paper, is it over or under? It's over. Gotta. <laughs> Ice coffee or hot coffee? It's literally 50 50. Yeah, depending Afternoon, on the Afternoon, summer, ice, morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But Both no, I'll say crazy, hot because crazy weather. Normally sure. I'm, yeah, Consistently normally, hot. I'd say hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, TV or book? I don't like my answer, but it's probably TV, although I don't really watch that much TV. <laughs> uh, working alone or working on a team? Team. Morning or evening? Morning. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Family or friends? Family. Netflix or family, Hulu? Friends are family, actually. I'll take that back. Okay. Okay. Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. All right. And then lobster roll. You do it with butter or do you do it with mayo? I don't have a lobster I would roll. Do it with, he must I have would, had a lobster roll. Yeah. No, I've had – we went – we've traveled in Maine and stuff. And there's <laughs> yeah. like lobster shack here. Um, I'm no, sure. definitely, definitely butter. Um, not not huge go. on mayo. Um, but, you know, a fun fact on that. I, I got gout like like two two plus years ago and I stay away from shellfish, red meat. Um, I can't do it anymore. So – and that's what um, that's, that's what big... causes it. Shellfish, Does big it? time. Yeah, oh, shellfish. I it was shellfish, like high fatty foods. Shellfish, no. uh, red meat, booze. Huh. You know, if you're like, yeah, yeah, if you're really hammering Ooh. all three of those Luckily, all I've the never time. Had gout. I should be like the spokesperson. <laughs> you <should be. laughs> you, you've got you, you've got a decade or two until you have to probably worry about that. My, uh, I drink and and I think today we're gonna have two lobster rolls because we a have decade our, or we two. Have our review. Nicole's right. probably older than you, Corey. Oh, easy. Not to give away her age. How old are you? I am 38. Oh, yeah. see, I'm 40. So yeah, I'm already older than you. Close enough. We're the same. The same. <laughs> uh, Plus, it doesn't matter how old you are. It matters how old you feel and how old you look, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Not a day over 30. So you're good. Appreciate and you're, and that. you're looking amazing, brother. So I think we should change that chocolate or vanilla to, to milk chocolate or dark chocolate because nobody says vanilla. Yes. What is it? Are you milk or are you dark? I'm like closer to milk, um, but my wife likes dark, and so sometimes she'll, she'll have like the tree bark That's in the, and, she's and call right. it dessert. And I'm like, no. yeah, dark tree is bark. right. <laughs> I like the dark chocolate myself. I love Gotta, it. Gotta, yeah. yeah, awesome, Corey. Really appreciate it. any any uh, final thoughts. Obviously, you know, if anybody wants to go hit up Planomatic, that's we'll link up the website there. But any final thoughts sure. that you have? No, I mean, I really appreciate what you guys do. I think you run a really good podcast, a good company. I like to watch it from afar. So I really appreciate you having me. Um, this is always a lot of fun. Uh, 
you know, I, I jumped at the opportunity when you, when you shot an email to me. So I just want to say thank you. Um, I also just, I mean, I, you know, that, that was a tough conversation about the buyer's agent. I mean, I supported him. <laughs> I really thank you. I did like, He's like, trying to reel back. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to reel back a little bit here. I mean, Get on I, the I hope that we focus editing, hopefully editing does a good job um, of me saying, you know, I, I think that we need agents to help people. Uh, this is the biggest decisions of, uh, of their lives. So I just think about it. And I don't think that was lost. I don't think that was lost. I think, I think what, 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 what the purpose of this is, is, is conversations. And that's, no, and that's listen, what we're trying to have. I mean, I don't know what's going to yeah. happen with the lawsuits, but I think something significant enough. And right now I'm speculating. I do what Mike never does. You know, right. I, I do believe something big enough is going to come out of that, that there will be a dramatic change on the buy side. So you're not wrong to say it. Everybody that's not in the industry says that just seems weird. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're definitely not wrong to bring it up. I'm glad you brought it up. So thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, let's right. depending on the administration, uh, the NAR is like the third or first biggest lobbying group in this country. That's just a oh, matter friend. of fact. So yeah. looking out for the best interests of buyers and sellers, of course, that's that's the main goal. And um, and, and we appreciate it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Corey, thank nice you, you so much. You guys should go check out Planomatic if you're not already a customer and uh, pre just appreciate you. Hope I can see you soon sometime. Same. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.